Well, it's kind of cliche, but it's appropriate for us. Uh, Every end is a new beginning. Every end is a new beginning. Uh, We need to focus on that a lot these days here at First Free for Bill and Carol and their new venture with Reach Global, Rick and Donna and their new venture, Reaching Unreached People Groups. Um, A new beginning can be a bit scary and a bit exciting at the same time. You think about what Bill and Carol are going to be doing and training leaders around the world. They're going to have the excitement of of interacting with church leaders all around the globe and training pastors and leaders in the church. There's also a little bit of apprehension, I'm sure, and talking with Bill and Carol about the the size of this and scope of the ministry that they're taking on. And for our congregation, uh, it's exciting to know that we have a church that God can pull people and say, I want to use you over here. And it's also kind of neat to know that through Bill's ministry and other staff members and pastors in the past that our congregation and our leadership is, is at a place where we can continue to the work of the ministry that God's called us to do. But also a little bit of apprehension is, and uncertainty as we don't know what tomorrow holds and how the, the search process for our next senior pastor is going to work out and who that's going to be and, and where we're going in these areas. But personally, that's true also, isn't it? There there are times of uncertainty and apprehension. There are obstacles that we face in life. There are situations that come to us, and maybe you're facing them right now. It might be something as simple as that book that's never been written or the vacation that's not been taken, that relationship with someone that you've not reconciled with, the language that you've you've not learned that you always wanted to learn, the conversation that's not been initiated or that journey, whatever that journey is, that you've wanted to start but you've never begun. And then we hit places in our lives where sometimes it's not even what we want. It's just life comes at us and we have to, we have to realize that this, end, this is an end of a situation and a beginning of a situation at the same time. That can look different for all of us. For some of you, maybe it's rebuilding your life after a divorce. You didn't plan this. You didn't want this. You said the same vows at the beginning of your marriage that everyone else did till death to us part, but now you find yourself maybe for no cause of your own starting again. A beginning has a, every ending has a new beginning. Maybe you've lost your job and you're looking for work and the market isn't what you would hope it would be and there's struggles and there's fear that comes into your life. Or maybe you're just tired of, of living a discouraged, unfulfilled life, and you feel like you've been working hard and trying to do all the right things, and, and your neighbor seems to be moving ahead, and you just seem to be stuck, and you're just tired. Or perhaps you need hope after a relapse of some sort. And a relapse can be any number of things. Maybe, maybe you have been free from alcohol or drug use or pornography or eating issues of purging yourself after you binge eat or perhaps gambling. Whatever vice might be in your life, you were going along so well and then the bottom fell out and now it's like, oh, I have to start again. Every ending has a new beginning. Maybe you're facing an empty nest as you, your children make their way in the world or maybe you just need to take better care of yourself or move forward in your service to God. We could go on and on, couldn't we, at all of the different endings in life that become beginnings. And they don't all have to be, you know, terminal. It's just different times we have to start again. Something that's really important for us to know is that the God we serve is very big into beginnings. 
The God who we serve and worship is very big into beginnings. In fact, I think we could safely say he wrote the book about beginnings, didn't he? God wrote the book about beginnings. That's how it starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then when the tranquility of that beginning, that that heaven and earth was shattered by Adam and Eve's sin, um, God stepped in once again and he began a new system of connection with him. He began a, a plan of redemption to restore what had been broken. He gave humanity a new start after the great flood in Noah's day, a, a new start. He launched a new group of people through Abraham. And throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, when God's people who were, would get off track and they would start following other gods or they would, they would deny God, they would chase after the things of this world, over and over again, God would send a, send a prophet, send a leader, and, and they would have a new beginning, a chance for a new start to recalibrate things with God. We have a God who loves beginnings. Perhaps one of the most important beginnings is the one that's recorded in Mark chapter 1, verse 1 which is what we're going to look at today, if you want to open your Bibles there. It's a short, simple, very powerful verse that can give us all hope. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now we're focusing on this verse today because this is the the first verse in the gospel of Mark, which is going to be the place we're going to be studying, the, the Scripture we're going to be studying in the coming weeks. We're launching this sermon series through the life of Jesus Christ as Mark recorded it in his gospel. Uh, you might wonder what's preaching going to look like now that Bill's not up here every week. Don Earhart and I are, for the most part, going to be alternating weeks of preaching, and then we're bringing in some of the other uh, guys on our staff who will be filling in. But we're going to be moving through the gospel of Mark at about eight to ten week chunks, and then we'll take a break and maybe have a month of guest speaker coming in, someone else coming to share with us. Um, But all along, moving through this really important study. Now, one of the reasons we selected this is because it's so appropriate for us in the life of our church and in, in our world and how our church interacts even with our culture around us. Mark was written in response to some very stressful times that the early church was going through. People who knew Jesus firsthand, those who could say, I talked to Jesus, I heard him say this, were dying. So there were fewer and fewer people who had a firsthand experience of listening to the voice of Jesus. So somehow we have to capture this. We have to record what the teachings of Jesus were. There was also a lot of fear, a lot of persecution. People were being martyred for their faith. In AD 64, um, the Emperor Nero was in charge, and there was a fire that spread through Rome, a big section of Rome, at the same time, coincidentally, that Nero had designed an improvement plan for this section of Rome, and this mysterious fire burned down that section, so people started pointing a finger at Nero, saying, "How, how coincidental that the place you wanted to rebuild is burned down. Did you do that? And Nero said, no, I didn't do it. And he deflected blame to the Christians and started persecuting Christians and torturing them. And that's when, if you know that part of history, that epoch of history, some of the most ferocious martyrdom happened right there where Nero would put animal skins on Christians and send them out and for entertainment, let dogs eat them or put them on stakes and burn them to light his garden. Those are some of the horrors that were happening um, or, or would begin to happen about this time. So Mark was writing to a church that needed to know something that would give them power and hope 
in the midst of that struggle. A tradition tells us that Mark in this gospel is communicating the message of the Apostle Peter. Uh, That's what tradition says. He doesn't spell that out in the gospel, nor does Peter say that. But it fits. That's what tradition tells us. In Acts chapter chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, we, we see a little bit of kind of the pace and the excitement of Peter, what Peter's bringing up that fits with Mark. Let me read these verses, Acts 2, 22 through 24. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. This is Peter speaking. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep a hold on him. Now, some have said that's almost an outline or a summary of Mark's gospel, of the path that Mark takes through the life of Jesus Christ. It also reflects something of the urgency with which Mark writes. Um, Mark uses the word immediately in his gospel more times than it's used in the rest of the New Testament combined. Mark is about action. There's something that's happening in the world, and we need to get this good news of what Jesus Christ has done out to the people who need to hear it. And it's also a significant study for us here at First Free. We say that our mission is to, to make disciples, to find people who don't know Jesus Christ and to introduce them to the life-changing message of Jesus and to take people who are followers of Jesus Christ and help to mature them to a place where they're reproducing their lives, serving here, serving around the world, impacting this community and the world with the truth of Jesus Christ and then reproducing. We say that's what we're about. The Gospel of Mark confronts us and makes us realize that's more than a program, that's more than a class, that's more than a saying that we have on our website. It's something that requires really encountering the true power of Jesus Christ and what He came to bring and how He empowers us to make a difference in people's lives, setting them free from what's binding them, breaking the chains of addictions, helping people to understand the freedom of relationships and and of forgiveness in Him, and changing the world with the love of God. That's what West County St. Louis needs. That's what our metropolitan area needs. That's what the unreached people groups that Rick Burke was talking about needs. The gospel of Mark is God's sovereign reign that's inaugurated in Jesus Christ. God's sovereign reign. It's where demonic forces are defeated. It's where sick people are healed. It's where sinners find compassion. It's where hungry people are fed. It's where the power of God is on display. If that's what Make, Mature, and Multiply is supposed to look like, we better put our seatbelts on, but I think that's what it is. It's about God bringing His kingdom reality to this place and empowering us to be His people. Perhaps the greatest significance, though, is our individual encounter with Christ, individually and as a church. In the next several minutes, we're going to just unpack this one verse, the very first verse in Mark's gospel. I'm going to read read it to you now in two different versions. In the NIV, it says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. In the English Standard Version, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
So we're going to take the rest of our time this morning and just look at this verse because it's so important and so pivotal for what happens in the rest of this gospel. We're going to ask three questions, three very simple questions about this verse, and in answering them, find hope for our own lives and for our church. The first question is, what is the gospel? What is the good news and why is that significant for us? What is the gospel? Why is that significant for us today? Now, the Greek word used here for gospel is euangelion or euangelizo. It's, it's the word from which we get the English word evangelism or evangelical. It, this word for gospel or good news was used in the ancient Roman world. If, if there was a battle being fought and we won the battle, we would send a messenger to tell the, the, the commanders that the battle has been won, and that was hearing good news, hearing good news that, that our side won. The term gospel actually finds its etymology in Old English uh, combination of two words, which mean good and news, the God spell, the good news, the gospel. It's, again, where we derive the word evangelical. Our, Our name of our church, the full name of our church is First Evangelical Free Church. We belong to the Evangelical Free Church of America. And internally, we, we embrace that because what it means to be evangelical is to hold to the, the fundamental basic truth of the good news of the gospel, what the Bible tells us about God's plan of redemption and how He's unpacking that and unfolding that, the rather resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrated last week and all that that means. So while it's an insider term, we cling to that and we love it, um, we have to really be honest and say that to people outside of the church, and especially to cultural influencers today, the term evangelical is not that great a term, is it? In fact, to to most people not in the church, to be evangelical means you're anti-intellectual, you're against everything that's fun, and you hate gay people. That's that's what the world is saying, isn't it? And, and inside, we're like, no, we, we don't. We don't hate gay people. We're not anti-intellectual. But, that, but that's the, what the culture, how the culture characterizes the term evangelical. So that leads us to a challenge. Are we going to defend a term, or are we going to embrace the heart and meaning of that term? And the heart and meaning of that term is the good news of Jesus Christ is available for every person, and we need it, and we don't deserve it, but God has given it to us. Here's how Paul described the good news when he wrote to the letter, his letter to the church in Rome. I'm going to read this from the Living Bible. It's a paraphrase, so hang with me as I read this, but I think the, the Living Bible unpacks this really well about what the good news is. Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Dear friends in Rome, this letter is from Paul, Jesus Christ's slave, chosen to be a missionary and sent out to preach God's good news. This good news was promised long ago by prophets in the Old Testament. It's the good news about His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came as a human baby, born into David's royal line, and being raised from the dead, He was proved to be the mighty Son of God with the holy nature of God Himself. So you see, the good news is the whole picture of what God's doing. And then verse 5 is really, really powerful as, as it's paraphrased here. Listen to this. And now through Christ, all the kindness of God has been poured out upon us undeserving sinners, and He is sending us out around the world to tell people everywhere the great things 
that God has done for them so they too will believe and obey him. That's the good news. The good news is the kindness of God has been poured out on this undeserving sinner and, and then I have been and you have been called to go out into the world and to share with other people that they as undeserving sinners have been given this offer of the kindness of God. That's the good news. So it encompasses a lot more than just the years of Jesus' public ministry. That's a part of it. But it's the whole plan of God from when he initiated it back in the garden after the fall to when, to when it's going to be culminated with his call and, and bringing us to heaven to be with him. The good news is that we can be forgiven and nothing else in the world can take that away. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the way the New Testament presents this concept of good news or the gospel is that it's, it never gets old. It never wears out. In fact, it's just as fresh today as it ever was. Paul wrote this in the first century to the church in Rome and said the kindness of God has been poured out on us undeserving sinners. Well, it's still poured out on us undeserving sinners today. And in another hundred years, it will be poured out on those undeserving sinners. Uh, you might think of it as a newspaper headline. It's never old news. Uh, look at this newspaper. Um, this is a newspaper from July 10th, I think it says, 19, 1863. The headline to the left, The Retreat of Lee. That was really big news that day, wasn't it? That was really big news. Now, if you're a historian, it might be interesting, and you might read it and, and find some things, but it doesn't give you any news that's worth anything for your life today because it's what we call old news. It's old news. The gospel, though, gives us a headline that's new, that's the same, but actually applies every day of our lives, doesn't it? What if there was a newspaper that had a headline that said, Something like this. Jesus gives a fresh start. And you open the newspaper today, and that's what it says. And you open the newspaper tomorrow, Jesus gives a fresh start. You open the newspaper a week from now, Jesus gives a fresh start. A hundred years from now, Jesus gives a fresh start. The good news is that every day, every moment of our lives, we have a fresh start. We have a gospel. We have a message. This is why we're talking about Mark's gospel in the coming months. We need to hear this as a church. We need to hear this and be mobilized by it. So are you ready for a fresh start in your life? I'm so thankful that over and over again in my life, whether it's been because of brokenness in my life or situations that have happened to me growing up without a dad when my dad died as a little boy or, or messes I've gotten myself into by my own sinfulness and betrayal and hurting people and, and not treating people as I should, that over and over again, God says, new start, a new start, a new start. So what about you? Maybe you're left full of shame and defeated for something you've done or something that's happened to you. Um, the good news is that Jesus is available to you today. The headline is real for you this moment. Mark saw the messed up condition of his world and realized that needed to be reminded of this good news. And the same thing is happening for us. In fact, we might say the special significance of this term is the reality of our brokenness colliding with the incredible love of God. The reality of our brokenness and need colliding with the incredible love of God. That's the good news. So that leads to our next question. 
still in verse 1. In fact, we're not leaving verse 1 today. Uh, What does the title Christ mean, and why is that significant? The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why is that significant? Now, the word used here for Christ, it's the dynamic equivalent of the Greek term for, for the Hebrew word Messiah or Messiah, Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. Over 550 times in the New Testament, Jesus is called the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who, the one who we are hoping for, the one who the Jewish people were looking forward to to bring them rescue and relief and deliverance from their oppressors. Now, we don't find Christ to be quite so startling because most of us, even in the church, just see it as kind of a last name. It's kind of like Jones or Smith, Jesus Christ. It's his last name. Well, it's not. It's his, it's his, it's his divine title. It's the anointed one. He's the one who is the hope of all hopes that we've been waiting for, that the world has been waiting for and looking for. This is the kingdom reality. This is why the power of the gospel is so great. The kingdom reality, the divinity of God coming in this person, Jesus Christ. This is where we see the authority to rule. This is where the chains are broken of of demonic power. The chains are broken of evil brokenness. This is where people are freed from sin, from misguided belief. The The sick people are healed. This is where sight is restored to the blind. This is where the vulnerable are protected. This is where God establishes His victory here on earth. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Now, there is a twist that first century Jewish people would never have thought of. They would never have conceived that this, this anointed one, this Messiah who was coming, would actually be a, a, a suffering Messiah. That he would be a Messiah who would suffer and die, especially not a substitutionary death, like we would say. Their vision of a Messiah didn't have anything like that. But the good news, the really good news, is not just dealing with our external situation as the first century Jewish people would be looking at. We're oppressed by this Roman government. We need freedom from that. This Messiah came not to set us free from an external power, but to set us free from an internal power. To set us free internally from the power of sin and brokenness, from the twisted miswiring in our own hearts. Mark saw that, and that's what he's writing about. The Scriptures present that when we believe in Jesus Christ, He is our Messiah, our Anointed One. Now, we have to be careful because it's not just as simple as, you know, accepting a LinkedIn invitation from someone who's at the top of your, you know, corporate career path. Like, wow, how cool. Now I'm connected to that guy. Um, That's not it at all. In fact, getting a LinkedIn invitation from Jesus would like blow your computer up to, to, to have... To have Jesus enter your life is everything that used to happen can't happen anymore, and there's something totally new. That's the kind of power, a very, a very dangerous when uncontrolled, but divine power that God moves in and He changes us. Encountering Him will destroy everything that used to be and open the door for what can be. That's the good news. Takes away what used to be, opens the door for what can be. That's the good news. So as you walk in the good news of Jesus Christ, you encounter this anointed one of God. When fear and doubt creep in, as they sometimes do, we we run back to him, where we get the power and authority for our parenting struggles, our marriage issues, our learning disabilities, for mental illness, for patterns of sin. Whatever it is that you're struggling with that you need that new start, it's the Messiah. 
The third question that we're going to consider, what does the term Son of God mean and why is it significant? Throughout Mark's writings, in his use of Christ and the Son of God, sometimes it's synonymous, but some have said that this term Son of God is Mark's favorite term for Jesus. And it is used often in this gospel. It's the word that, the name that if you think back to the end of the end of the gospel when Jesus was dying and hanging on the cross, there was the most unlikely of person to testify. Remember the Roman centurion, the guy who was just punching the clock and doing his job that day. When he looked up and he saw Jesus hanging on the cross, what did he say? Surely this is the Son of God. Surely this is the Son of God. Now, it's used in the Old Testament for angels, it's used for Israel, it's used for kings, but in this special nuance, this description is the relationship that Jesus has with God the Father. There's something of a relationship in this connection. He's the beloved Son of God. He brings the message of God's love to us. This divine sonship is very central to everything that the good news is about. Listen uh, to Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Here Paul talks a little bit about this concept of a son. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And then in Galatians, Paul describes this predicament that we have being enslaved and talks about the good news in this sonship kind of context as well. When the, when the set time had fully come... God sent His Son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So you see the relationship connection. God's Son, Jesus, enters our world, redeems us, helps me by rescuing me from my own destructive ways, and and not just leaves me as someone who's been fixed, but says, I want to invite you into the family. And God invites us into the family. And it goes on to say, because you are his sons, God sent his spirit into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Of all the terms that describe our relationship with God, In my own heart, this one is so special. Because without this, without the sonship kind of relationship, without the connection there, right doctrine, justification and sanctification and all those things, the the rules and the regulations and the instruction, without, without that relationship, that all can feel so dry and so distant. But you take all of that and then you say, oh, by the way, you're mine now. You belong to me. This position as sonship, which by the way, when Paul describes sonship, he describes both male and female Christians as sons. And and the reason is pretty clear. If you knew the first century culture, daughters had nothing. Daughters didn't get an inheritance. So to hear you were a daughter of God in the first century would have been, well, then you're left out. So only sons got inheritance. So Male and female, children of God, are are brought into that place where we have the inheritance that God's Son, Jesus Christ, has. That's the relationship that we have with Him. It's a blend of dignity, divinity, royalty, relationship, and connectedness with God. So now let's circle back to where we started. Think about what you're facing today in your life. 
Maybe it's relational, personal, financial, spiritual, some area of brokenness, fear in your life, shame that you're wrestling with. You can face whatever tomorrow holds with the confidence that comes from just this really short verse at the beginning of Mark's gospel. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The anointed one, the Messiah, wants to usher in a new kingdom reality. Not just in the big picture. Yes, it is in the big picture, but it's also in your life. It's in your heart. It's in your home. It's in your relationship. It's in your situation. And through this special relationship, he gives us the call to take this message to others. So let go of the doubt. Let go of the fears that keep you back. And let's together in the coming weeks and come back next week. Don's going to be up here and we're going to start moving into what this actually means. Because I think this first statement in the Gospel of Mark sets up the entire gospel and story that Mark unpacks of Jesus' life. So come back next week and keep coming as we walk and see how we're going to apply this. Through the sacrifice of our Messiah, we can see this promise. Last thing I want to do with you is to, to pray a prayer with you. And I'm going to read this prayer, and then we're going to come back. I'm just going to ask you to pray it out loud with me if you feel that's a prayer that you can pray in your heart based on this verse. Thank you, God, for the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, your Son. By His power and authority, I want to know the fresh start that is mine. Let my relationships, my personal walk with you, my involvement in our church, and my attitudes, my words, reflect the daily reality of your good news. Amen. If that's a prayer you can pray in response to this verse, let's go back. Let's pray that prayer together out loud right now. Thank you, God, for the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, your Son. By His power and authority, I want to know the fresh start that is mine by faith. Let my relationships, my personal walk with you, my involvement in our church, My attitudes and my words reflect the daily reality of your good news. Amen. Father, may this be so in our lives. May this be so in our church. May First Free, our family, be characterized by the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen.